and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to head over to Spidersville, I mean, Snydersville, to, you know, try to get our car fixed up. We're also going to, you know, try to maybe enlighten some of the small town folk into what the art of drag can really be. And also we're going to beat the fuck out of some guy who's like, you know, beating his wife. But anyway, uh, besides all of that stuff, um, on today's episode, we are going to be covering a little movie from 1995 called Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, or just known as Tu Wong Fu. My history with this film... Um, uh, the reason I am releasing it, uh, this episode right now, is because actually this came out in September. You're hearing this at the end of September, so I thought, why not? But anyway, um, my history with this film, I mean, I think I was like tangentially aware of it, I guess, you know, being a little little queer person, little queer guy. But, uh, you know, I, I never really had seen it before until I didn't see it in my youth or anything like that. Seems like it would be uh, kind of fun. And actually, funny enough, uh, I had a friend back in college uh, who actually also really liked this movie, and she would watch it every so often. I never watched it with her, though, weirdly enough. But I was aware of it and knew that, like, you know, like Patrick Swayze's in it and, like, John Leguizamo's in it. And, you know, of course, like, every drag queen has seen it, you know, all this stuff. But, like, I... uh, but I probably saw it when it came on to, it was either Tubi or Prime, I think it was Tubi actually, where it had come up, you know, just randomly, and I thought, you know what, I've never seen Tu Wong Fu, and I think by this point, I had seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I had seen that, and I liked that movie, I did an episode early on that, but but I was like, alright, well, you know what, let me watch Tu Wong Fu now, and now that I've seen it, I mean, I just, I love this movie more and more every time I watch it, like, I just really enjoy it, and I think it's... It's just such a fun film, and you know it, it's uh, it's Amblin Entertainment, so it's you know kind of a little bit of a Steven Spielberg movie. You know, he pr- helped produce it at least his, his company did. So, and I also think it's just so crazy that like you know in 1995 you could have a movie that literally has drag queens in it, and I don't know exactly maybe what the there was an uproar or anything about it, but the fact that you could do that, I. Just think it's so cool, and and um, I think this movie has a really nice little heart to it, and I, I enjoy it, and it's why I want to talk about it. I also think it's completely a cult classic. It's completely a cult film where, you know, similar to something like Priscilla, you know, uh, we can get into that a little bit, too, of, like, people comparing them, but, you know, I, I really do think, like, this movie has the love of a lot of queer people, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, drag performers, I'm sure, you know, even though they might kind of bristle at the idea of like why are these people never out of drag half the time but whatever fine i just love this movie and i think it's just so important to talk about and you know i, I really enjoy it so as we normally do on the show we're going to go through some figures of the movie talk about how it came to be things like that and then we'll talk about you know the plot of the movie breakdown of the characters and things of that sort so without further ado though let's get on to those figures so tu wong fu was released september 8th of 1995 and has a runtime of about 105 minutes. Uh, This was distributed by Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment, which we can get into a little bit later. And we're looking at about a $30 million estimated budget. For opening weekend ranking gross, this came at number one with uh, about $9 million made at this first weekend. And then overall domestic and worldwide gross for this was about $36,474,193, which 
was good in terms of at least made its money back, but I think also could be considered a financial flop, I guess, but whatever. And then in terms of ratings, we have about a think a 45-ish percent on um, Rotten Tomatoes for 44 reviewers, um, and then 71% with audiences with about 50,000 ratings. So, of course, I think the audiences liked this a little bit more than maybe the critics did. And then a 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd, so I think that also just goes to show that the uh, audience of this movie seemed to like it more. For our cast and crew of this movie, so we are looking at B.B. Kidron, who is a female director, but also has gone on to have an interesting um, advocacy career for children having advocacy on the internet, apparently, which is really interesting, and having rights and stuff. That's really cool. You can look all that stuff up. Um, But yeah, director of, you know, this movie literally went on to like also be like a fancy British like advocate lady, which is great. And then the writer of this movie is Douglas Carter Bean. He is a gay man who came from Broadway, um, writing stuff on there. Um, this is one of his early things he did, but he's then, then gone on to do Xanadu the Musical back from 2007, and then also Sister Act the Musical in 2011 on Broadway. He was like the writer of the book, which is cool, of these musicals. Uh, for our composer, we have Rachel Portman. She was the composer of on the Joy Luck Club, and also Emma, I believe with Gwyneth Paltrow, that one. And then also uh, Steve Mason is our cinematographer. One of his really big credits he had, really, was Strictly Ballroom, which is an Australian film. And then our editor is uh, Andrew Monshine, um, and he did The Sixth Sense. He also did What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and he also did Wide Awake, which is another Emily Shyamalan movie that has Rosie O'Donnell in it playing a nun. And then in terms of the actors and actresses of this movie, so you have our three leads, uh, Noxima Jackson, played by Wesley Snipes. Of course, we know him from... Blade, but we also know him in White Man Can't Jump, Jungle Fever. He's in Dolomite Into My Name on Netflix, and he's also in New Jack City. Patrick Swayze, uh, rest in peace, as Vita Boheme, who uh, that's kind of a a little play on um, La Boheme, if anything, the the opera from back in the day, which also then went and inspired the musical Rent. He is, of course, from Dirty Dancing. Go listen to the episode about Dirty Dancing I did earlier this month. But he's also from Point Break. He's from Roadhouse. He was in Ghost. I mean, all these things. He's an accomplished dancer, accomplished actor. Rest in peace, my dude. Like, you were so cool. Anyway, and then John Leguizamo, who came from the world of stand-up and comedy and everything um he of course was in like the super mario brothers movie he was in romeo plus juliet he was just in the menu not too long ago um so yeah he's had a an interesting career he's in violent night uh with david harbour playing the the villain but yeah he, he one of the things he did was he started off playing a drag queen and then other people so stalker channing playing carol ann who's the abused woman in the the, the town that they visit uh stalker channing of course was in first wives club in the beginning she's of course, Rizzo from Greece, accomplished, you know, Broadway actress, all this, of course, just being soccer chanting. Um, Jason London, who is one of the London twins, along with his brother Jeremy. Um, Jason London, he's been in uh, The Rage Carry 2, Days to Confused, this film, um, all sorts of stuff. He's made a weird little career for himself, be it in like weird sci-fi shark movies, which I fully support. There's that. Chris Penn, who plays Uh, Officer Dullard, who he is the younger brother of Sean Penn, I believe. Um, He has since passed away as well, but he was in Reservoir Dogs, Rush Hour, uh, Footloose, 
things like that. And then Blythe Danner, uh, who is Gwyneth Paltrow's mother, she was in Will and Grace. She's in Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, I think she was in too. And of course, just being, you know, literal uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's mom as well. Uh, and then also you have, you also have uh, some other random people cameos that are in this movie. So like, you know, you have like Beth Grant from Child's Play 2 and all sorts of other things. Um, she's one of the the residents of the town. Um, Alice Drummond, who uh, is like an old, who was an older lady and she came from the stage and she plays Clara in the movie who Noxima takes a liking to, you know, all that. And she was in In-N-Out as well, which is another little game movie as well. Michael Vartan's in this movie. He plays a total dirtbag, but he was in Never Been Kissed and all sorts of different things. And yeah, you just have some random ass people who are in this film. Like, and then just some people who, like, you know, had this movie and then maybe didn't work a ton after it or, or whatever. But then also some really cool cameos, like, of course, you have a bunch of drag queens like Candace Kane, uh, Miss Coco Peru, Head of Lettuce, Lady Bunny are all in this. RuPaul is, of course, in this as Rachel Tensions. Robin Williams is in this as John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. That's his literal character name. Um, and we'll get to him in a little bit as well. Uh, and then also uh, Naomi Campbell has a little role. And then there's like a little blink and you miss her in the beginning and then also julie newmar catwoman herself who is just so statuesque um she is at the end of the movie so i mean this movie is so stacked and i kind of love it so before we move into any kind of a plot summary breakdown or character breakdown of this movie i wanted to go over some production history how the movie came to be and things like that a lot of this information I'm pulling from uh, is being pulled from um, two articles. There's one uh, which is called How Hollywood Heartthrobs and Steven Spielberg Help Make a Drag Queen Cult Classic from Today.com, which was written by Alexander Kala. And then also there was a story in The Advocate by Mitch Cohn, um, who was involved in the production. And he wrote the amazing story behind Tuong Fu for The Advocate back in 2015. So if you want to, go check those sources out. But here's what I'll tell you. So the writer, Douglas Carter Bean, who, again, is a total homosexual, uh, he originally envisioned this script as like a stage play, which makes sense. Uh, but he changed his mind when he realized that putting a car on stage might not be very good. Uh, it might not work very well. And so Bean actually was inspired by an anti-gay propaganda film called The Gay Agenda. And on this film, uh, so Bean said that there's a scene where these drag queens uh, are shown going through a town, and the narrator is warning the viewers uh, that these people will take over their town. And Douglas thought, well, that could be fun. Like, you know, that'd be cool. He wrote this script, uh, and that ended up finding its way to a guy by the name of Mitch Cohn, who, again, I just mentioned, wrote the Advocate piece in 2015, but he was working as a development executive at Amblin Entertainment. So he passed the script along to his boss, Steven Spielberg, who, quote, loved it. And um, Spielberg had his friend, Robin Williams, don't know if you heard of him, uh, do like a cold reading of the script while he was on a plane, um, which like uh, mesmerized B.B. Uh, Kidron, apparently. Uh, but Williams expressed interest in maybe having a possible role, but he didn't want to distract from the three leads of it. So he ended up doing a little cameo instead, um, which is his 
John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt character in the beginning. So when the uh, script officially went into production or went into development at Amblin, um, many people, unnamed male directors, passed on directing this because this is a different time, you know? And you have something like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is Australian, and it was also, I think, directed by a guy. Uh, It was, I think, written by a, um, a gentleman as well. But, you know, is... But it was just a different time. And so, but British director B.B. Kidron happily accepted the job, though. And advertising companies at the time, though, wanted to change the title to something shorter, like um, something like Ladies Night or She's a Lady or something like that. He actually ended up uh, keeping the the long title. Uh, now it's just known as Tu Wang Fu, but uh, the literal title is Tu Wang Fu, thanks for everything Julie Newmar. Um, apparently that came from an autographed photo of Julie Newmar that Bean had seen on the wall in a Times Square's, like, uh, you know, Chinese restaurant in the 80s. So apparently that picture that is a part of this movie was kind of just hanging up in a restaurant in the 80s in Times Square, which is interesting. And uh, Bean has said that uh, Wang Fu is meant to be like a metaphor for God. He's quoted as saying, uh, because you have to be uh, thank God for everything. You have to be grateful for life. You just have to stop where you are and say thank you for everything. Um, and apparently a scene was filmed where the characters provide more context about that but it was ended up being deleted so all right cool you have this movie so we now have to shoot it right and we have to cast it so when it came to the casting apparently wesley snipes um and john leguizamo who the role of shishi rodriguez was pretty much written for uh they both immediately said yes apparently uh and many actors were considered for the role of vita bohem including uh some like robert downey jr william baldwin Gary Oldman, Matthew Broderick, James Spader, John Cusack, Mel Gibson, Robert Sean Leonard, uh, Willem Dafoe, John Tatura, Matt Dillon, Rob Lowe, Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, and Robin Williams, which again, he's already in the movie as a little cameo. But Patrick Swayze had become one of the last actors to audition for Vita, and director B.B. Kidron said it was ultimately Swayze's walk that sealed the deal. Uh, saying, quote, Swayze had the, his own makeup people transform him into a woman, and he insisted that he, that he him and BB take a walk around the city to prove that he could pass as a woman. And, quote, with um, his beauty and his dancer's grace, he did just that. And at that point, he had the job. So, and then, of course, this film featured dozens of New York City drag performers and underground stars in, like, small roles, or as featured extras. Um, as I said, RuPaul, Joey Arias is in this movie, uh, Lady Bunny, Misunderstood, uh, Candace Kane, uh, Flotilla DeBarge, um, who I think is uh, the MC at the uh, drag queen of the city pageant or whatever, uh, Coco Peru, uh, Lady uh, Katira, and then Quentin Crisp as well. Um, so the three lead actors spent time in like the local drag scene researching their roles and were each given like a drag mentor to work in um, developing their characters. Um, and so actually... I think it was one of those magazines. They just did uh, something with John Leguizamo, and he talks about that as well. Uh, he talks, uh, interestingly enough, he talks about like how with his character, you could tell, like, because he's supposed to be like the more inexperienced queen out of the the three leads, right? And so 
he even said that like he really loved his his mentor but like even his makeup uh kind of showed the growth because at the beginning of the movie you see that like uh shishi is kind of the most busted out of all of them like the ugliest one if you will right but then by the end of it she's grown in a way where you know her she's beautiful you know and and it was very much a a deliberate choice to have that kind of makeup change which i thought was really interesting when he he said that the costume designer uh, marlene stewart had the leads uh, wardrobe um custom made shoes corsets everything um which is so cool and so filming of this movie took place in uh july to october of 1994 um the drag contest at the beginning um was filmed at webster hall in new york city um and also the uh the John Schaefer Phipps Estate in New York, uh, Old Westbury, New York, um, also now known as Old Westbury Gardens, was the uh, site of the Miss Drag Queen USA contest at the end of the film. And so film locations in New Jersey included Jersey City, which was the site of the Canton restaurant in which um, those restaurant scenes are actually shot at, um, and also Montclair. Uh, so this was a substitute location for uh, the scenes that were shot in Pennsylvania uh, at that weird that weird uh, sounding town that Patrick Swayze said. Uh, but yes, uh, so that was kind of a stand in for that place. Much of the film was actually shot on location, though, in Nebraska, in the areas of Loma Lincoln and Omaha. Um, And so, uh, though greatly faded, though, a Welcome to Snydersville sign, actually, uh, a mural still remains in Loma uh, in Nebraska. So it's cool that they were able to actually go to Nebraska and shoot in this, like, small town um, and be able to do that because it makes it feel a lot more real. And I think it really helps with the film, personally. Um, in interviews and recollections with like actors and crew after the film, uh, the production of Tuong Fu has been described as a quote tough shoot, uh, partially uh, due to the discomfort that the male leads experienced with like their extensive hair and makeup um, and costumes. And on location filming and a four and a half month long shoot also contributed to friction among cast and crew, which is to be expected, of course. Uh, you know, it, it just happens that way. Uh, but if anything, it ends up, you know, working out in the end. It's it's never easy to be in drag anywhere. And the fact that you're in it uh, in the middle of this town, in the middle of nowhere, kind of, uh, that has to be kind of weird. Uh, a scene apparently involving the drag trio dining in a McDonald's was scrapped. Uh, apparently after the company told the producers that they did not want to be associated with drag queen culture, which is kind of sad. Um, and then also Coca-Cola agreed uh, to product placement um, and a billboard for the soda company is featured in a prominent scene in the film. So if you notice that Coke uh, sign, that Coke billboard, that's because Coke gave them the money to do that. So then, of course, the Australian movie, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, check out my earlier episode about that one, I love that movie, was released in 1994 and became like an international and critical hit, right? And so Tuong Fu shares certain plot details with Priscilla, which also concerns two drag queens um, and a transgender woman who uh, is on a road trip who managed to win over the locals of a small town. Um and so, you know, despite the similarities, though, Tu Wong Fu um, had already 
been in production by the time Priscilla was released. Um, And the crew of Priscilla had heard about the movie while they were shooting their own. And though a producer was initially worried the films might be too similar, after reading Tu Wong Fu's script, producers uh, decided that it was sufficiently different from Priscilla. Um, And also the success of Priscilla, along with the popularity of drag queens like RuPaul, and also the 1990 documentary Paris is Burning, uh, also helped pave the way for Tu Wong Fu. Because if you don't already remember or know this, of course, RuPaul has like their millions upon millions of dollars now with their show that's been going on for almost like literally 20 seasons almost. But at this time, you know, RuPaul was in this movie. They, of course, were in the Brady Bunch movie, but also they had their own little talk show at some point. Like there was some popularity there, which I thought was, you know kind of interesting and it was just a moment in time man that's what it was um and so uh this movie was released in september of 95 uh apparently some professional golfer whose name shishi rodriguez uh sued the production company and the distributor over the name of uh, over the use of his name um eventually settling out of court apparently but did you know that there was a shishi rodriguez uh he's a professional golfer so fucking weird. Uh, but anyway, so some of the reception of this movie, though. So uh, it has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the consensus of this movie is that Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything Julie Newmar, seeks to celebrate individuality, but is too timid and predictable to achieve its admittedly uh, noble aims. Um, so that's what they say about that. Um, though critical reviews were mixed at the time, the performances of the three leads were roundly praised. So Joe Brown of the Washington Post called the film fiercely funny and wrote three snaps up for Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, and John Leguizamo, who walk the walk and work it. Emmanuel Levy of Variety gave a mixed review, but wrote that sporting blonde wigs, Snipes ad- admirably wiggles his hips while wearing high-heeled red shoes. Using a low register, Swayze also excels as a man still suffering from parental uh, rejection. And shining throughout is the brilliant Leguizamo as the Latino spitfire who needs to prove to his comrades that he's more than just a mere boy in a dress. And Robert... Uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Times, uh, the Sun-Times, wrote, What is amazing is how the film manages to be funny and amusing while tippy-toeing around A, sex, B, controversy, and C, any originality in the plot. Credit to that belongs to Swayze, Snipes, and Leguizamo, who are surprisingly good at playing drag queens. While Ebert gave the uh, film two and a half stars out of four, his colleague Gene Siskel gave a more positive review and predicted an Oscar nomination for Swayze. And so, of course, uh, people uh, pointed out the similarities to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, um, and said Tu Wong Fu was subpar in comparison due to the predictability of its plot, script, and tonal unevenness. Um, the decision to have the lead spend most of the film in wigs, or in drag, um, even going to bed in their wigs and makeup, was also criticized as straining credi- um, credibility or credibility. Credulity, credulity. Um, and so Keith Turin of the Los Angeles Times wrote that the screenwriter Bean and the director Kidron um, don't seem to know any way to emphasize the humanity of their characters except by swaddling them in mushy cliches. An actor and writer Michael Kearns argued the film 
and its promotion is eager to wink and snicker at homosexuality. The film's omission of any hint of gay sexuality was also noted by Janet Maslin of the New York Times, as well as Brown of the Post, who decried the fact that, quote, always in the admittedly few mainstream movies with gay characters, the film's um, heroines do not get to partake in the film's romantic story arcs. And appear only to function as asexual fairy godmothers for the people of Snydersville. But there were some positive people. So uh, Edward Guthman of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote, quote, It's a distant cry from the realities of gay bashing, poverty, and evictions that real-life drag queens suffer, which may be part of its point. Imagine, Wong Fu suggests... A world where people stopped judging one another and simply surrendered to the silliness that's dormant inside of us. And then the Austin Chronicle's uh, Allison Maker uh, shared a similar sentiment, writing, quote, From some, for some, the film's unabashed sentimentality and fairy tale quality may go too far, but to but Tuong Fu is such a delight that it's easy to overlook the few awkward moments. Calling Tuong Fu campy doesn't do the film justice. The film camps it up, but still allows us to believe in the characters. Snipes and Swayze are so successful in exploring their feminine side that all of their future roles should be played in drag. And to close out, Emmanuel Levy concluded, though the film is not as outrageous or as funny as Priscilla, it still offers some rewards as mainstream entertainment. And that, quote, ultimately, the comedy comes across as a celebration of openness, alternative lifestyles, and bonding. All life-affirming values that in the 1990s are beyond reproach or real controversy. Um, and then also at the Golden Globes, Swayze and Leguizamo were nominated uh, for uh, Best Actor, Motion Picture Musical or Comedy, and then Best Supporting Actor, respectively. Um, and yeah, I can really kind of get into that. Like, yeah, I think that this movie is kind of a fairy tale. It's not supposed to be this, like, uh, bastion of reality or, or anything like that, really. It... it, it in a way, like I remember on Letterboxd, somebody said something uh, in their review where. So, the Letterboxd review that I'm talking about comes from um, Parker Brennan, who uh, is one of my followers on Letterboxd. Hey, Parker, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> we follow each other on Letterboxd, and uh, I like their review about Tu Wang Fu. Um, so they did this back in 2020, and so I'll read it. So some background on me before my little review. I was assigned male at birth, but I've always identified more with women. I refer to myself as non-binary because I don't present in a traditionally feminine way. I grew up gay in Ohio where boys called me a fag long before I understood my own sexuality. Over the years, men have said hurtful things to me as I walked down the street or gave me dirty looks for carrying a gender-neutral purse. To feel safe in public, I usually behave in a more masculine way than I would at home with family and friends. All these things considered, I found myself so stressed watching Tu Wang Fu, uh, with a little uh, emoji. Uh, I can't say I believe that most inhabitants of a small town in America would take so kindly to drag queens. This movie came out in 1995, and even 25 years later, I still think the towns around me could be frightening places to obvious uh, queer people. Somehow, most of the characters in Tu Wong Fu are more open-minded and kind than I'd ever sus have suspected. It's really quite charming. 
To make sense of it all, I think of this film as taking place in its own alternate world. I hope the next time I watch, I can enjoy how sweet and or unrealistic the eyebrow-raising elements of the story are. I mean, I should have known that uh, this would be a huge departure from reality when the queens take off from New York City for LA, dressed in full drag the whole time. All the fabric, pads, makeup, and wigs accumulating perspiration for all the hours of the day. I'm a firm believer that one should dress comfortably for a road trip, but of course, who wants to look at sweatpants instead of fabulous costumes? And of course, they gave this a four out of five on Letterboxd. So, but I like their review of that. I, I think it is this interesting thing where, um, you know, it's a movie that does take place in this other reality. It is other alternate reality. And it's one that would be nice to live in. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of something like a Clueless, where is Clueless reality of what it was like in 1990s Los Angeles, Beverly Hills? Probably not. But is it a reality that we wish we could live in? Sure. And so I, I look at Tu Wong Fu similarly to that. But Tu Wong Fu is considered groundbreaking for being the first mainstream Hollywood production to depict drag queens. Rita Kempley of the Washington Post wrote that in comparison to previous films that uh, feature cross-dressing like Tootsie or Some Like It Hot, the heroines in Tu Wong Fu aren't cross-dressing to escape the mob or to prove a point. They're just being true to their nature. In a 2019 retrospective piece about the film, a writer, uh, Naveen Kumar, noted, quote, the film's language and understanding of gender variance is undoubtedly limited at, uh, as a product of its time, and that the film blended iterations of queer experience that tend to have clear distinctions in the real world and for which we have more nuanced language today. Among the film's language and concepts that are now considered problematic is the terminology used by the characters to describe the differences in queer identities, which I think they're referring to the um, different uh, things that Wesley Snipes says um, in the car when they're driving. Um, But, you know, okay. Of the leads being in drag for the duration of the film, some critics have said that this is an intentional part of the film's camp element. Kumar added that, quote, uh, that Tu Wong Fu's drag performances remain completely unbroken throughout the film's entirety heightens the movie's extreme emphasis on beauty and artifice, and that the film is very conscious of its ironies as Swayze and Snipes were both box office draws known for hyper-masculine and romantic leading roles. The perceived uh, incongruity of dressing them in drag is part of what fuels the comedy. In this way, Kumar wrote, Tu Wong Fu plays on viewers' suspension of disbelief. Swayze and Snipes, in particular, are clearly recognizable under their women's garb. Uh, And that the film's own characterizations tend to blur the lines between drag as a conscious performance and their desire to actually be seen day and night as women and of the characters staying in drag douglas carter bean says uh his intent was to create an illusion saying quote it is about fantasy and it is the illusion it's about the work that goes into the art form it was never meant to be an absolutely truthful documentary look at drag the fantasy element can also be said seen as perpetuating an idea that transgender identity is nothing but make-believe and of course one of our drag queen friends alaska thunderfuck said that what the film does best is that quote the camaraderie between 
between the girls, the way they look out for each other and protect one another. The movie also illustrates the transformative power of drag. It helps people become empowered no matter where they come from or what kind of life they lead. And so, again, for all that being said, I just think, like, all of that to be said, though, like, I just think this movie is such a fun little escape for people. Um, It's something that has a nice, fun, happy ending, and I think is just enjoyable and and it's true like it's not a a a hard-hitting look at what it's like for drag queens in america or for queer people in america it's it's not about that it's about more so just how you know people can learn from one another and be able to grow and to be able to you know they're just able to become something better than they were before, I guess, you know? And that's what I think a big part of this movie is because all three of these, these actors and all three of these Queens in the movie, I think they become, they become changed by the end and, and they get to, to have that. And I, I just think it's such such a good, that's such a good little story. You know, it's, it's just fun. It's enjoyable. And it's a PG-13 movie, so it doesn't get too, too raunchy, you know? And and I, I just can really appreciate it. And I, I definitely think that it's just something to uh, to also just marvel at the fact that a movie that had, like, drag queens in the main parts in 1995 could even be made. And I think that's, like, super lit because we're still having issues of that today. And, you know, to only to get on some, some sort of a soapbox, I mean, the fact that we have... Nowadays, we have states trying to outlaw drag and to, you know, repeal any sort of queer rights that we have. I mean, that is horrible and disgusting and reductive, really. And I fucking hate that. And I just think, like, if anything, like, we're all similar, you know, and queer people are just like anybody else. You know, uh, we're not trying to get anything different. We're not trying to get any special treatment. We're just trying to live our lives and not be murdered, you know, uh, by people who hate us. And uh, I think Tu Wong Fu is a great example of a movie that was not afraid to to be out in the forefront. And I just fucking love this movie. Like, I just think it's so good. And I think it is absolutely, there's a reason I think why queer people like it a lot and they have this level of, of um, comfort with it and uh, a level of admiration for it. I, I think, you know, you, you're, you're welcome to disagree with me, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I think if you're listening to this, I'd hope that you like this movie just as much as I do. Um but yeah, with all that being said, though, I'm going to get off my little soapbox, though. But we're going to move into a bit of a plot breakdown, a character breakdown of Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. All right, so we'll go through a plot summary of this movie, and we'll kind of break down some of the scenes as well. Um, so I'm going to do this real quick. I'm just kind of you know, ripping this right off of uh, good old Wikipedia. <laughs> But um, if you need like a plot summary of this movie. So after tying for the win in New York City's Drag Queen of the Year contest, Noxima Jackson, played by Wesley Snipes, and Vita Boem, played by Patrick Swayze, win a trip to Hollywood to take place in an even bigger Miss Drag Queen of America pageant. Before they depart, Vita persuades Noxima 
to take along the inexperienced drag princess, Shishi Rodriguez, played by John Leguizamo, as their protege. They initially refer to him simply as a boy in a dress rather than a full-fledged drag queen. And so to do this, they cash in their plane tickets to a friend, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, played by uh, Robin Williams, which in reality is the title of a song. And so they use the money to buy a yellow convertible, a 1967 Cadillac DeVille. Um, They set off for Los Angeles in it, carrying with them an iconic autographed photo of Julie Newmar, signed to Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, that Vita took from a restaurant wall. While on the road, they are pulled over by Sheriff Dullard, who hurls racial slurs and then forces Vita out of the car and tries to sexually assault her. Vita strikes him and he is knocked unconscious. He is presumed dead and the queens drive off. At a rest stop, they recover from the incident, but their car unfortunately breaks down. So Bobby Ray played by Jason London, a young man from the nearby small town of Snyersville, happens to pass by and gives them a ride to a bed and breakfast inn. So the inn is owned by Carol Ann, played by Stalker Channing, um, and her abusive car repair husband, Virgil, played by Arliss Howard. So then they are stranded in the town for the weekend, waiting for the replacement part of their car. So Shishi is harassed by a group of roughnecks, which apparently she kind of liked that because she was used to it back in New York City, apparently. But whatever. Anyway, but that was a little bit of a weird scene. Uh, but she is saved by Bobby Ray. Um, and while volunteering to help with the town's strawberry social, they decide that the town's women need a day uh, with them, uh, getting their hair done, picking out new outfits, and talking in a cafe. And while searching for the new outfits, they are ecstatic to find that they found vintage fashions from the 1960s in the town's clothing store and give the female residents and themselves a makeover, which that is one of my favorite scenes where Wesley Snipes is just going crazy for these like vintage fashions and this like fringe, it's fringe. It's so good. It's hilarious. Following their makeover, they are abused by the same roughnecks that attempted to harass Shishi, which also Michael Vartan is a part of. Um, fed up, though, Noxima handles the situation in a typically New York City manner, um, where she does grab, I think, Michael Vartan by the balls um, and uh, teaches their ringleader uh, a lesson in manners. Vita, Nagzima, and Shishi uh, do what they need, do what they can to be positive, and they set out to improve the lives of the townspeople, offering um, assistance in organizing the strawberry social. Um, while meanwhile, while this is all happening, uh, Sheriff Dullard is ridiculed by his colleagues, who believe he was beaten up by a girl, and he then goes in search of the drag queens, which, oh my god, those are some funny scenes. So, Vita becomes acutely aware of Caroline's abuse at the hands of Virgil, and one one night decides to intervene and beat up Virgil uh, before throwing him out of the house. Carol Ann is able to repair their car, but they remain uh, for the strawberry social. And Carol Ann reveals to Vita that she knew that um, she was drag queen all along due to her Adam's apple. And so then Virgil runs into Sheriff Dullard at a bar, and they realize that the newcomers are the same people that Dullard has been searching for. They head back to Snydersville, and Dullard demands that the townspeople turn them over. The other townspeople, who now realize that their new friends are not women, devise a ruse to protect them. So one by one, they confront Dullard, each claiming one to be a drag queen, in a similar fashion to the movie Spartacus. 
or Sporadicus, as uh, Cher Horowitz would say. But Dullard is humiliated and he flees. Uh, the strawberry social commences with everyone dressed in vibrant red outfits. And the townspeople then say goodbye to Noxima, Vita, and Shishi as they prepare to leave. In honor of their friendship, Vita gives Carol Ann the autographed photo of Julie Newmar that has accompanied them on their trip. And in a fun ending, they end up uh, making it to Los Angeles where Shishi, after having received many tips from Vita and Noxima during their ordeal, wins the title of Drag Queen of the Year and the crown is presented by Julie Newmar herself. And so that's like the plot of this movie, Tu Wong Fu. And so... You know, um, I guess if we wanted to go back through the characters uh, throughout, you know, I, I feel like we'll start with, I guess, Noxima. So, I mean, with Noxima, I I like her character because, you know, I, I will start off first and foremost. I think these three actors do, I think, such a good job at giving a level of respect to these characters and really not treating this as kind of a waka waka, I'm a man in a dress type of thing which I can really, really respect uh, when you're doing this kind of project, honestly. Uh, But with Noxima, I like the fact that she's, you know, a no-nonsense kind of girl, you know, and that, (laughs) I mean, she's just so fabulous. Like, you know, everything from her saying, little Latin boy in drag, why are you crying? Just in a grandiose fashion, you know? But also, you know, this is a person who ultimately is a, a black man in America and has had to deal with their own strife about that. And also being a quote, I guess, queer person too. being, a, you know, a lot of the times queer people, drag queens tend to be a lot of queer people. Not every drag queen is a queer person though, but we're to assume that I guess these men are also queer, I guess, but like, yeah, like that's a whole other host of shit you got to deal with. Right. And so the fact that Nuxim is no nonsense, but Ends up having this, like, I love when she, like, grabs that guy's balls and, like, teaches him about manners. And, like, I love that. But I also love the relationship she has with Miss Clara, you know, where um, she realizes that Clara is kind of a, a little bit of a mute. She doesn't talk very much. But when they have this kind of, like, connection about old movies and Clara talks, like, that's so cool. And I just think, like good for Wesley Snipes being able to really like uh, bring a level of heart to this character that I really enjoy. And I mean, of course, just like everything from like, you know, she, she's asking like, you know, how do I look? And then she says like the Miami set machine just exploded all over you. Like, it's very funny or like, Oh, I'm sorry about the way the civil war turned out. And even also like when they're on their road trip, like, you know, her telling Vita, like Vita, you know, like when they go to the little, hotel motel thing and the um (laughs) the women's basketball people are there uh but even before that they're like you know you know even noxima is just like you know like it's to be inferred that like her and vita being friends you know like they've had to deal with shit being like queer drag queens you know and they've had to deal with some stuff and and um you know you get that little bit of an inference so I, I love Noxima. I really like her character, and I think she she's so good. Um, Vita Boem, I think, you know, of course, like, for that character, I mean, it's colored by the fact that it's Patrick Swayze, of course, but I think, you know, uh, super hot, by the way. Oh, my God, he's so hot in this movie. But anyway, um, but obviously, like, we see the the 
we see where they go to see the the mother, uh, his mother, and they don't actually talk to her. They just look at her from afar, right, in Pennsylvania. And so, like, being able to get the understanding that he came from maybe a, you know, this, this character came from uh, somewhere where they were not accepted and that they pretty much had to flee to be able to be happy, right? Uh, you definitely get the sense of that with with um, Fida's character, um, that she was probably thrown out or kicked out of the house or was maybe disowned by her family or, or something like that, which is then why, you know, she's a bit of a fighter. She's a fighter, for sure. I mean, God, she punches Officer Dullard out, uh, you know, like when he tries to, when um, Officer Dullard tries to put his hand up her skirt right and he's like get off my dick buddy you know and like punching him you know and like that kind of thing but also like he's not afraid to fight you know because he's probably had to fight all his life really and so being able to to have that but i also just love him and carol ann's relationship um i think they both have such a good heart and i think like um I think Vita sees herself in Carol Ann in some way and um, sees that Carol Ann deserves better and deserves more. And I just really love their relationship. And, you know, I I can get to Carol Ann in a minute, I guess. I I mean, I could talk about her now, I guess, really, too. But, like, I love her, too. Like, you know, you can tell that she wants more, but she's a battered woman in a small town, you know? And and it's hard to be able to get away from from that. And, you know, the fact that she was able to have someone looking out for her and letting her be herself, you know, and letting her be what she wanted to be, like... I think that's so cool. And I also just love their scenes that they have where, you know, you have the whole Adam apple, Adam's apple scene where she's like, you know, uh, women do not have an Adam's apple. Um, and I noticed that you had an Adam's apple and all this kind of thing, like, you know, and um, it's like that kind of a thing. And I, I love that little scene. And I also love the scene at the end where, you know, um, they're all leaving. And she says, like, Carol Ann says, you know, I don't see. I love you, Miss Speedable Am. I don't see you as a man and I don't see you as a woman. I see you as an angel. And then Vita's just like, well, I think that's healthy. Like, it's so cute. Like, oh, their relationship is so nice. I love them. So yes, Vita, I can just tell that she sees something in Carol Ann that she connects with. And that is exactly why they have this whole relationship. I also love how Lee, he like um, gives the book of Diana Vreeland to like the little stuttering um, shopkeeper boy. I love that so much. And it's so cute. So, you know, I think Vita is just a, a young man, you know, and he's a man who as a young guy, like, you know, wants to be able to take care of people and to be able to, to maybe stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. And I, I think that's really noble. And I think that's really, that's really great for her. I I love her character so much. I love these women. I love these drag queens so much. And then she, she Rodriguez, you know, um, I like their character because so they're obviously from like New York city or something like you can definitely get that. And of course they're the um, Latina one of the group, you know, Um, 
like I was saying earlier, like she kind of gets this, um, she almost gets assaulted by these guys, right? And you're just like, what the fuck were they going to do to her, right? But um, I feel like she's used to it, right? Like, it, it seems like she's kind of like, you know, she likes that kind of roughneck guy who might, you know, throw her around a little bit or something. But like, this is very dangerous, obviously. And, and I'm not making light of that at all, of course. But like, it's... It, but it's kind of played for like you know she's very much used to this she's grown up in like the streets of new york yeah you know, she's grown up in new york so like she she's nobody's fool either and and whatever i also kind of like how she also because she's the youngest one of the group um and she's also the kind of the most inexperienced in a way but like i like that she kind of also you know kind of claps back a little bit at some of the queens you know like um clapping back with the with vita being like why are you getting in for, why are you getting involved with other people's stuff you know and like i'll tell you why da, 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 da. you know so and of course she falls in love with like um bobby ray right and so like of course who wouldn't but like when she realizes that like and i also don't know if like we are to assume that um she she might be like a trans person or whatever i don't really i'm not i can't i'm not getting into all of that because like i don't know i'm not a person who's trans and i don't have anybody i don't have anybody on this episode who is so but like you know i uh but the fact that she like falls in love with Bobby Ray, but she doesn't want to tell him they're like oh hey by the way (laughs) you know but like uh but I think that like she falls in love with somebody who treats her right. But I love the fact that with Shishi, she understands that like she loves him so much because he treats her right, right? But also she realizes and mature is she's mature enough or she becomes mature enough to understand that if she cannot be one hundred percent truthful with him, that she should not be with him. And that's why she then gets, you know, Bobby Lynn to, you know, go with him and all that. So, and she gives him up, you know, and, and I, I think that's really, I don't know. It was the right thing to do in a way. Um, and it was, it hurt her to do that. It hurt she, she to do that. I'm sure. But I really just think like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, I feel like with, with her, like I love her little arc as well. And I I also like the fact of like hearing from John Leguizamo that like, you know, a choice in how she, she did her makeup was a deliberate choice in like showing her growth and showing her becoming more, more seasoned and more experienced in drag. And, and, um, I thought that was a really interesting touch as well, you know? And, um, and yeah, I really liked that, but yeah. And then I guess the other person we could talk about as well, um, who's kind of the other the other character, is Sheriff Dullard. Um, and, and Sheriff Dullard, I think, if anything, like um, he's of course like kind of the the cartoonish villain of the whole piece, right? And so, but of course, the one thing that uh, you know, of course, like him getting knocked out, him just using those slurs, I was like, what the fuck kind of movie is this now? But anyway. But there was that, but also like him getting punched out by Vita is so funny. Uh, it's so good. Don't quote me, but I think this one is deceased. You know, it's so good. And this movie is so quotable, by the way, too. Oh, it's amazing. But like the fact of like uh, some of these people, like, you know, the 
I love like the place for homos list that Sheriff Dullard has. First, like his friends are clowning on him because he got beat up by a, a drag queen, but also the fact that like you know um, they have the place for homos where he's like going and looking for these people, and I'll, of course, so there's six places apparently for homos. So flower shops, ballet schools, flight attendant lounges restaurant for brunch restaurants for brunch and then antique shops so he's not wrong you know uh definitely not wrong but uh i just i just think that oh my god it's so silly to me um but like him going to these different places looking for these queens like it's just oh my god it's so iconic to me like it's so funny it, it just shows that there is some camp in there as well which i really appreciate about this movie too is that it is very campy it has that sort of camp sensibility um so i could really appreciate that and so but yeah it's just so fun and uh yeah but his but his character to me feels like um I don't know why it does, but it it makes me feel like he is some sort of closeted, I guess. Like he, you know, like him talking to Virgil at the bar where they're, he's talking about like uh, these men and, and they like rub up on each other and like all this stuff. It felt very homoerotic to me um, as a complete homo. And so like, you know, I just was like, dude, are you like like i don't know i i feel like that was kind of the point in a way like are you like a like you like a undercover homosexual like are you like gay but you don't want to you can't be gay though so like you're gonna be just a homophobe i guess or whatever um anyway but i just thought that was like uh, that's definitely to me what his character was and then of course him like uh getting clowned on by the whole the whole town that was another scene i think another uh some of the scenes that i can talk about as well so of course like i've already talked about like you know him going to the places for homos um of course like where vita beats the fuck out of virgil um and you know talking like virgil saying like you know well some women need to get hit and then (laughs) vita's like well in con um in contrast that means some men need to be hit and she just beats the fuck out of him it's so good uh I love the scene where they find the vintage clothing and like Wesley Snipes is like losing their mind. Noxima Jackson's going crazy uh, about it. It's so cute. Um, I also love like the, almost the end scene really where um, Sheriff Dullard's there. He's looking for these drag Queens and you have the scene where this person comes out in a red like dress with a veil and everything. And you assume that it's Vita. Right. And so walk in, walk in because they, she has, um, he has their shoe, right? Um, Sheriff Dollar found the shoe of one of them and that's who they're trying to look for. And so this person comes out in this like red dress and everything like that. And then it ends up being Stalker Channing, Carol Ann. And she's like, I believe that shoe is mine. And then each one of them says like, you know, I am a drag queen and just having soccer chaining saying I am a drag queen honestly just made my day way better. But anyway, so like, I just, I thought that was so fun. And, and, um, yeah, just, like, everything, like, their little performance, like, at the Strawberry Social, like, at the end, where, you know, Sheriff Dollard is kind of, like, laughed out of town, and, like, you know, Virgil's out of town and everything, and, you know, they get to have this, like, performance uh, to turn it out uh, from LaBelle. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just really enjoyed that, and, um, yeah, there's so many different scenes where, you know, it, it's just, like, is this a reality? Like, it's absolutely not, but, like... 
to me, it's a fun escape. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's just like uh, such good, I think there's some good scenes in here as well that I could just really appreciate and enjoy um, just for what they are. Um, so yeah, so it's a little bit about the characters, you know, of what I think of them or, or what I can kind of glean from that. Um, and then, like I said, some of the, the scenes I really enjoyed, of course, like, um, just all of those ones I, I talked about really. Um, yeah. And I think just like, I guess if we were to have to wrap up or anything, I know this is a bit of a shorter episode, but there isn't too much to go in to, uh, much more about this. I'm not going to. You know, if anything, I can analyze it as much as I want to. But I really do think that to kind of wrap it all up, though, I really just think this movie is such a fun escape. It is a a, a movie that I think people see as a comfort film because at the end of it, I mean, it is a a happy ending. It is a story about becoming true to yourself and you know, understanding that we're not all so different, you know, on the inside, maybe, you know, we have our own differences, of course, but, you know, um, all anybody ever wants to do is be loved and to be accepted by the people around them and to find their family in a way, you know, find their chosen family. And I think that's a huge part of this too, is being able to find your chosen family and being able to, to, you know, have this level of, of joy and love. And I think that's what this movie to me is, 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 um, it's queer joy. It's queer, you know, it's queer joy. These people win at the end. They, they get to change this town's perspective and they get to, to make some good friends and, and, you know, hopefully make a place better than they left, you know, better than they, they came into it with, you know? And so, that's what I really like about this film is that just like it is a complete escape. It's not really all that much reality, but like I don't really give a shit if it's reality or not. You know what I mean? And and that's how it's supposed to be. And so and I also just really appreciate that these these actors, these three actors, these three straight male actors, you know, they really do give a level of respect to this material, as I said earlier. And um, I, I I don't feel like this is, you know, these straight men in dresses. Do you know what I mean? I feel like this is a movie that is very much, um, it's respectful of drag. It, it's something that shows how cool and fun it is, you know? And and I, I am just so happy that this movie does exist because uh, there's nothing that wrong with drag. You know, it's the art form does not dictate what people do, you know, and and um, how somebody is as a person. Are there some drag queens who are absolute trash? Absolutely. You know, but does that mean every drag queen is? No. Does that mean every queer person is? No. And so I think this movie is just a fun little escape. And the fact that it exists is just really great. And I I just really appreciate that. And I, I like the fact that it was directed by a woman. It was written by a gay guy. Like I'm always gonna I'm always gonna go up for those movies because that's why this movie works differently than maybe other movies do as well. When you have that kind of 
of um, that kind of care in directing. And I think also some sort of care in, in the writing as well. So, you know, that's, that's my thing about, about Tuong Fu uh, in terms of streaming or anything. I absolutely think you should go buy like this for physical media. If you're into it, um, it does, it's on Blu-ray from scream factory, uh, shout factory or whatever. Uh, so if you want to get that one, I also got it on DVD pretty easily. It's a couple bucks, not too much. It does stream every so often. So I've seen it stream on Tubi before, which is how I watched it at first, but it also streams on like freebie or prime or something like that. Generally, a lot of the times they'll do that like in um, like July or June or something like that. I think it was the last time I watched it actually. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely recommend to Wong Fu. If, if you are a fan of uh, drag Queens at all, like you should definitely watch it, but watch this and Priscilla Queen of the desert. I think it's a great little uh, kind of mashup. Um, because of course they're similar stories, but they are ultimately different enough where I could really appreciate both of them. I used to say, oh, I think I like Priscilla a little bit more than Tuong Fu, but I think now in the situation I'm in a position where I actually really like these movies both a lot, really, uh, for all different reasons. And who knows, maybe I like Tuong Fu just a little bit more. I don't know. It, it It's a weird thing, but I ultimately love these movies both so much. And, and Tuong Fu is such a... I think it's such a great film and, and um, to those who like queer cinema and to those who like uh, cinema, that's a little different than, you know, the regular mainstream stuff. Like, I think it's definitely worth your time. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, and yeah, for sure. Go watch it. It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. And hopefully you'll, you'll get as much out of it uh, for the acting and for the, the joy that it brings um, that, you know, I, I just want other people to see it too. And uh, hope you enjoy it as much as I did as well. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so via email at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com in case you want to give any movie or episode recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to just say, hey, I'm open to all of it. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Instagram threads at Cult Cinema Circle. I tend to post what I'll be covering for the next week on there, post stories, things like that. On X, I'm at Cult Cine Circle. On there, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you want to follow the show, it's there for you to follow. And then on Letterboxd, I'm at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log little movie reviews, I'll log what I'm watching, and then it's also a nice way to kind of see what I might be covering on the show in the future. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 2007's Trick or Treat. Interwoven stories demonstrate that some traditions are best not forgotten, as the residents of a small town face real ghosts and goblins on Halloween. Tales of terror reveal the consequences of extinguishing a jack-o'-lantern before midnight and a grumpy hermit's encounter with a sinister trick-or-treater. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, and remember, I can tell you one thing about them founding fathers of America. They sure had fabulous wigs. Take care. Bye.